Father, as we come to your word this morning, to what may be a familiar passage and event, we pray that you would give us clarity, that you would help us to hear you and not miss what you have for us. Help us to embrace what you have for us and to live it out in response to you. And we pray that you would use this time in your word for your purposes now among us. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Recent acquittals in some high-profile deaths of two young indigenous people have rattled a number of communities across Canada. I feel scared. I feel scared for urban indigenous young people who are affected by too many systems that fail them, says Michael Champagne, an organizer with Aboriginal Youth Opportunities in Winnipeg. I am nervous for all of my relatives who are wrapped up in a justice system that doesn't seem to know what that word means. Last month, a Winnipeg jury found Raymond Cormier not guilty in the 2014 death of 15-year-old Tina Fontaine. Less than two weeks earlier, a Saskatchewan jury found Gerald Stanley not guilty in the 2016 killing of 22-year-old Colton Bushy, who was shot after the vehicle he was in drove onto Stanley's property. Both verdicts brought people into the streets to protest. Champagne went on to say, it's hard to have faith in a justice system that ignores countless reports and recommendations, including the Aboriginal Justice Inquiry from 1991, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples from 1996, and calls to action by the more recent Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He says, conversation online shows there's a lot of talking about Indigenous youth going on, but not nearly enough listening to them. 21-year-old Lauren Chopek knows all too well how vulnerable Tina was on the streets of Winnipeg. She herself was exploited as a teenager there, and she now runs a late-night mission on the streets of Winnipeg to help others in the same situation. She says, It feels as if Indigenous people have been asking for justice for a long time, but it's essential that Canada finally hears and listens. I've been there in her shoes, she said. I have been misjudged and ignored as a person on the street. I was a child that needed somewhere safe and someone to help, and all I got was people to judge me. Then she ends her statements with this question. Why are we always the ones standing up for ourselves? How come there's no one else who will vouch for us? That's right here in Canada. There are many people around the world in various places facing various forms of injustice today. And while their circumstances may differ, that question at the root of it all remains the same. And they could all express it in different ways, but it goes like this. Why is no one else standing up for us? When you and I see injustice, our hearts do and our hearts should say, that is not right. That must be different. That needs to change. Someone needs to help. And so we look to those in authority, those responsible to help in these situations. But what do we do if they are the ones dishing out the injustice? What do you do then? As we continue walking through this series, The People of Easter, as we make our way through the final chapters of Matthew's Gospel, 
we will look today at a man named Pilate. And we will look at the injustice that Jesus suffered at the hands of this Roman governor. A man who had no allegiance to Jesus or to the Jews. He was simply there for the purpose of dishing out justice. But not this time. But not this time. And as we look, there are some things that we can learn about our experience with Easter and our understanding of Easter, as well as our understanding, experience, and response to the issues of injustice. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, as we consider Pilate this morning. This is after... Judas had agreed to betray Jesus. This is after Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. This is after the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went with the eleven to pray and and to, to seek God's direction and to surrender to the cross and the call of God and the plan of God that would take him there. This is after the arrest that came as Judas showed up having betrayed Jesus. This is after Jesus spent the night in front of the high priest and the other religious authorities who mocked him and beat him and put him on these false trials with all these false accusations and things while Peter was outside denying him. Matthew begins, verse 1 of 27, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took a counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Jump down to verse 11, and we'll pick up the events related to Pilate there. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. Yes. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. 
Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The sting of injustice is that the wrong person pays. The sting of injustice is that the wrong person pays. And we see it here in the trial of Jesus, and we're so familiar with it, but we slow down and look at it again, and we say, what went into this injustice? Well, the first is that the innocent was declared guilty. That's not right. The innocent is declared guilty. In verse 23, he said, why? What what evil has he done? I have found nothing wrong with this man. What has he done? And they could prove nothing. Verse 19, Pilate was warned by his wife, This is a righteous man. Don't have anything to do with this. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew he was innocent. Over in Luke's account of this, in Luke 23, verse 13 to 16, we read this, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew it. And yet the innocent was declared guilty. Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders were up to no good. Look at verse 18. He knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. He he knew that Jesus wasn't guilty of anything wrong, but that the religious leaders were afraid of losing their influence and control over the people, this treasured position that they enjoyed so. And so they wanted Jesus removed, and that's why he was standing before Pilate. Pilate knew that. He knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew the Jewish leaders were up to no good. And yet he caved in to the pressure, worried about his reputation, worried about the riots the people were inciting before him, worried about the Romans and and being removed from his position of governor if he couldn't maintain some semblance of control and, and peace over this situation. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing but rather that a riot was beginning He turned Barabbas loose and sent Jesus off to be crucified. He caved in to the pressure of the crowd. Sports fans around the world can rely on one fact about their sport, whatever that sport might be. The home team does win more often than the visiting team. That is just a statistical fact. In 2011, Sports Illustrated wrote an article that concluded home field advantage is no myth. Indisputably, it exists. Across all sports and at all levels, from Japanese baseball to Brazilian soccer to the NFL, the team hosting the game wins more often than not. The question is why? They said a wealth of evidence disputes the most common theories behind home team advantage. For instance, thousands of cheering or jeering fans do not change a team's performance. On a number of other statistics, such as pitch velocity in baseball or free throw percentage in basketball, home field made no difference. The research also eliminated other theories based on the rigors of travel for the visiting team and 
how familiar a home team was with their field, rink, or court. So what drives home field advantage? Here is what their research showed. According to this article, the bias of the officials is the most significant contribution to home field advantage. In short, referees don't like to get booed. So when the game gets close, statistically they call fewer fouls or penalties against the home team, or they call more strikes against visiting batters. Larger and louder crowds of fans really do influence the calls from the officials. The referees naturally and often subconsciously respond to the pressure from the crowd. And then they try to please the angry fans and make the calls that will lessen the pain of crowd's disapproval. In the end, the ref's people-pleasing response can have an impact on the final result of a game. Home field advantage? The referees cave, cave in to the pressure of the crowd. That's exactly what happened in front of Pilate that day. He, he knew the situation. He knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that the, the political and religious leaders and, that, it, that had conspired against Jesus did it out of their own envy and pride. And yet he caved in to the pressure. He caved into the pressure. Well, the sting of injustice was kind of built that day on three things. The first was the innocent was declared guilty. He had Jesus scourged, viciously beaten, and then handed over to be crucified. Declared him guilty. Well, secondly, the guilty were claiming innocence. Look at verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. This is on you. You go do this, but I am innocent. How well do we know that scene? We're so familiar with that picture of Pilate washing his hands saying, I am innocent. People today will still say, well, I'm washing my hands of this. That's what they're talking about. I'm innocent. What? Pilate tried to shift the blame and pass the buck, but he was the one responsible for justice. And he was and is responsible for his choice and his decision in that moment. He's the one. He's the one who chose to send an innocent man to the cross. And that's on him. No one, no one, including Pilate, including you, including me, including anyone else, no one gets to declare themselves innocent and righteous. That's not our position. That's God's. Romans 14, verses 10 and 12 say, We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, then each of us will give an account of himself to God. God is the one who makes that call, not we ourselves. Romans chapter 3 says in verses 10 to 12, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one gets to declare himself innocent or righteous before God. The innocent was declared guilty. The guilty were claiming innocence 
And then the third ingredient that added to the injustice of this situation is that the guilty goes free. Look at verse 26. Then he released for them Barabbas and then scourged Jesus and handed him over to be crucified. While the innocent goes, goes and is pronounced guilty, the guilty is set free. Barabbas. Mark 15 tells us that Barabbas was under arrest. Barabbas was in jail waiting his execution at the hands of the Romans because he was guilty of murder in an insurrection. He killed a Roman soldier in an insurrection. Think of the irony of this situation. The Roman governor takes a man who's in custody because of his failed attempt to free the Jews from the rule of Rome and turns him free. Pilate frees an enemy of Rome in an attempt to make Rome think he's got everything under control and he can have at least the appearance of peace and control. Amazing. Amazing. And in a hint of what is to come, the guilty Barabbas goes free and the innocent Jesus takes his place. Takes his place. And we react to the injustice and we point our fingers and we wonder, were the angels watching? Were they saying, why aren't you sending us down there? Had they been cheering Peter on when he reached for that sword? When Jesus healed the servant who had been attacked by Peter in the garden, and then he said, don't you know that I could call to my father and he would send me legions of angels? Did they not say, okay, this is the moment? Let's put a stop to this? What were they thinking? We see the injustice of what Jesus endured. But we must carefully look because there are two sides to this coin. The sting of injustice is that the wrong person pays. But the other side of that is this. The sting of justice is that someone must pay. On the one hand, we see the injustice of the situation Jesus faced, but on the other, justice was served. Well, how can I say that? How does that make any sense at all? Turn with me to Isaiah 53 this morning. Isaiah chapter 53. And we'll look at verse 4. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This is speaking ahead of, uh, towards Jesus Christ going to the cross. We saw what he was going through, and we, we thought God was after this guy. This made no sense to us. We didn't understand it. Why, why was he in this situation? We have questions about this, verse 4 says. Verse 5 answers it, beginning with the word but. While we were thinking this didn't make sense, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed referring to the beating and the whipping that Jesus endured all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way 
And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. John chapter 1 tells us this. While John the Baptist was baptizing people and he had a crowd around them and around him and he had his, his followers with him, Jesus walked by and he pointed at Jesus and as recorded for us in John 1.29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is God's Lamb. He's not our sacrifice to make things right. He is God's sacrifice given for us. He's the Lamb of God, given by God for us. Romans chapter 5, 8 says, God showed us His love this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in Him we could become the righteousness of God. You see, friends, the, the cross had to happen. It is the only way for this to work. Sin must be paid for. Blood must be shed. Life must be given. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us of that. Without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness. There is nothing fair about the cross. And on the one hand, we say, well, that's not just for us to go free and for someone else to pay, someone innocent to pay. Jesus endured injustice in order to satisfy justice and rescue you and rescue me. Romans 3 explains it this way. Romans 3, verse 23, we're familiar with. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he continues on and says in verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's just a fancy word to say, an atoning sacrifice, satisfying justice, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. Now listen to this in verse 26 of Romans 3 so that he might be just, sin must be paid for. And the justifier, I will pay for that sin and declare the sinner righteous of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, God sent his son because sin must be paid for. Holy, almighty, sovereign God, Lord of the entire universe who spoke this place into existence has been rebelled against and sinned against and that must be dealt with. 
and he is just and people who cry out for justice need to understand this sin must be paid for that is just however in order to just not be the one who is just but also the one who justifies those who are in so much trouble and lost and condemned he sent his son the innocent to die for us the guilty that he might now justify us declare us righteous if we're in christ he demands the justice be paid but then he pays the sting of injustice is that the wrong person pays at the same time the sting of justice is that someone must pay jesus did both for us and the surprise of this injustice that can catch us off guard if we're not paying attention and if we just scoot over this a little too quickly is that we need this sacrifice dan meyer wrote years ago i traveled to ecuador and spent a couple of weeks traveling in the mountains there and the Quechua Indian tribes that I met there lived amid the most mind-numbing squalor imaginable. The disease and disfigured bodies were heartbreaking. The bugs and the stench were everywhere. People were living in a hole in the ground and calling it a house. They were feeding on rotten food and prizing garbage as possessions. But they didn't know it. They didn't know it. Why? because everyone lived that way that was just the way they all were that was where they were that's how they lived everybody was in the same boat they had never been given a picture of what it means to be a genuinely healthy human being they did not know what an abundant life truly looked like he goes on to say that is our problem too and the reason that we we think of ourselves as largely innocent people basically good innocent people people who have little to do with bringing about the cross of Jesus that's what the bad people did no that's what we all did we don't get we don't understand how sick and undeveloped we are spiritually we don't see our guilt before a holy and almighty god in psalm 14 david says this The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God, but all have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. In other words, we're condemned and we don't even realize it. And we must be careful so that we don't sit here and think of ourselves as innocent because we are guilty and condemned. It is Jesus who is righteous and innocent. and yet he took our place and paid our sentence in order to rescue us you need that i need that we all need that so don't look around and compare to see if you're better than him or a little ahead of her completely irrelevant that is the wrong scale to be measuring anything by lift your eyes to the throne of heaven and understand the situation understand your need standing condemned before almighty god and understand afresh the solution the solution that he provided so even 
even in this court of injustice at the hands of Pilate. I want you to understand that the cross was not the success of the sinister plot of men. It was not. They thought it was. But the cross was not the success of the sinister plan of men. The cross was the success of the sovereign plan of God. In John 19, John's record of this encounter Jesus had with Pilate, it came to the place in verse 10 where Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus, this is your moment. Defend yourself. I have the power to free you or kill you. That is my authority. I'm holding your future in my hand. And Jesus answered him, not sarcastically, not arrogantly, just honestly, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Who puts authorities in place, Pilate? Not you. Not you. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has an even greater sin. Pilate stood in judgment of Jesus. He sent the innocent, he took the innocent, he declared him guilty, he declared the guilty innocent, and he released the guilty. Pilate sat there thinking he was the one on the, in the judge's seat that day. Pilate needed to take a big step backwards and look at the big picture and understand that he was actually one standing before the ultimate throne of God. And the day will come when he will stand before the throne of God and answer for his act of cowardice and injustice. Friends, that's us too. We will all stand before the throne of God one day. Every single one of us. And if we go declaring ourselves innocent, we're done. It's over. You see, we've already been declared guilty. The only hope we have is to stand. Stand before the throne of God, the just, who demands that sin be paid, and say, yes, you are just, and my sin must be paid for, but you're also the justifier, and you sent Jesus to take my sin upon Himself and to pay that price so that I can stand here before you, not on my merits, but on His, in His righteousness. And I'm not here because of who I am. I'm here because of who you are. Because of what you've done for me through your Son, Jesus. That's the only answer. That's the only answer that we can give that ends with welcome home. Welcome home. Do you understand the injustice of the cross of Jesus? I think we can really wrap our heads around that, can't we? The innocent being condemned, judged guilty and killed, that did, we understand the injustice. But friends, I urge you to turn the coin over and also look at the justice of the situation and be grateful that my sin, my life, 
my judgment, my place was taken by Jesus so that my forgiveness, my eternal life, and His righteousness are possible for me. We, we have more we want to look at on this topic of dealing with injustice in our world today. And for that, um, come back tonight. I think that's enough for now. I think well, tonight we'll pick up and we'll look at our third point this evening. But friends, I urge you to consider the cross of Jesus and yes, see the injustice, but understand that it meant the justice of God was satisfied and it was done for you. Have you responded to Him? Rejecting Him now, rejecting Him now, leaves you in a hopeless situation. Embracing Him now means that when you personally stand before the throne of heaven, you will be welcomed home as someone who's forgiven. The guilty set free because the innocent was judged guilty. Let's stand and sing together.